Welcome, everybody. This is Doug Fletcher, uh, and you're listening to What's the Hazard? This is our podcast for safety professionals, for small business people, for small contractors, anyone who has an interest in workplace safety. uh, We're hoping that this is for you. Uh, It's kind of a grassroots effort, um, local safety professionals and others who are interested in providing information and sharing their knowledge and experience and uh, helping you get uh, the information that you need to do your job more effectively. So thanks for listening. Um, Thank you for the support, too. I've gotten a lot of great comments and feedback, uh, some suggestions. We're trying to take those to heart, and we're trying to implement those. So keep them coming. We appreciate it. I've actually received a number of questions through the email, and we're planning an episode for early December where we're going to specifically uh, answer your questions. So keep those coming as well. Um, Yeah, the response has been terrific, and, and we appreciate your support. Uh, my guest today is Ron DeBoard from Owen Industries. He's the VP of Human Resources down at Owen. And uh, I'm gonna, we, we have a great topic today and really interesting topic, uh, in my opinion, an important topic. I do have an observation to share with you, though, before we get started. Um, I, am, I am a movie junkie. I love sports. Uh, if the Huskers are playing or the Buckeyes are on, I watch football. Um, but I love movies, and so my wife goes to bed relatively early. In the evening, I sit around watching movies. And last night, I'm watching this movie called The Equalizer 2. I don't know if you've seen this, Pat. Have you seen The Equalizer 2? This is a Denzel Washington. It kind of reminded me of a Pale Rider, kind of a Clint Eastwood-esque type of a movie. You know, the, Denzel Washington is, a, of course, he's a retired black ops CIA kind of guy, and he's you know, just living, living, kind of hiding out. And um, all of a sudden he's, you know, he has to go get back into action. And so he's, it's kind of a good guy, bad guy thing. It's kind of uh, good versus evil, which I, my psyche actually needs from time to time. Good winning out over evil, you know, I I just need that occasionally. So I'm watching this movie last night. Um, I'm going to cut right to the, the important part of this. At the end of this movie, at the culmination of the movie, it's Denzel against the bad guys, of course. And he leads this group of bad guys into this uh, small oceanfront community that's bracing itself for a hurricane. There's this hurricane rolling into town, you know, bad weather. So they've boarded up the entire community. Everyone is evacuated. And then Denzel basically lures the bad guys into this little township. And um, he's kind of picking them off one at a time, you know, as you would expect. He leads this one guy into this small bakery. It's a little one-room bakery, okay? It's all boarded up. And uh, Denzel breaks in, and as he goes into this little bakery, he starts immediately slicing open bags of flour. There are big bags, 50-pound bags of flour, flour stacked everywhere. And he starts slicing them open. And then he's turning on these little floor fans, these little pedestal comfort-style floor fans. And all of a sudden, this big cloud of dust is emerging, right? He's blowing all this dust into the air. And I'm thinking, as a safety guy, I'm thinking, Oh my God, he's creating a combustible dust atmosphere, right? I mean, all of this organic dust is now in the air. I mean, literally, you can't, I mean, it's just like we describe it qualitatively. You can't see your hand in front of your face, you know, it's that, it's that concentration of dust. The the building is all boarded up, so it's it, you know, it's enclosed, it's tight, you know, it's a confinement. Um, he's got the the dust is dispersed in the air, there's oxygen present. Um, all we need is an ignition source, and we've got a big bang here. Well, the bad guy, of course, shows up. Denzel slips out the back. Bad guy gets to the front door, opens the door, and tosses in one of those uh, shot grenades, a flashbang grenade, I think they call it, which provides this ignition. And the whole building explodes, and the bad guy is blown to bits, of course, and good wins out over evil. But I just, you know, I just love that, that they incorporated these safety concepts into this movie. I'm not sure if Denzel has a history. Maybe he was a safety professional before he became a CIA operative and an actor or whatever. I don't know. But I just, I just you know, I went through that. I was just naming off each of the five elements of this uh, combustible dust Pentagon as, as he's doing these things. And I'm thinking that, that that's really cool from a safety perspective. I mean, I, I'm not sure I'm endorsing the movie necessarily, at least the last 10 minutes of it, if you're interested in that kind of thing. But anyway... Neither of you have seen it. I'm getting blank stares from both of you. So, uh, obviously, uh, 
Okay. I, I well, think, I think my wife's seen a combustible uh, <laughs> right. dust atmosphere when I'm baking pies during <laughs> no, Thanksgiving. No. She's probably <laughs> that's exactly you know, right. Yeah, so. no. uh, ex- exactly right. Well, well, Ron. First of all, thank you for being here, man. I know that you're a very busy guy, and uh, I appreciate your time. We we met not too long ago, uh, had lunch, and we were talking about this as a possibility. And you mentioned, you know, possible topics that we could discuss and you and you talked about the the topic of post-injury care uh post-incident care and this is something that frankly i'm very interested in but as an OSHA, as a former osha guy that's not really within the osha realm per se but i mean we we have spoken uh and and we continue to talk a lot about culture and the importance of that that attitude in a workplace and i think this this particular topic addresses that in a really important way, you know, what happens if we do have an injury in our workplace and, and how do we deal with that? And, and if we don't handle it correctly, how badly things can go as a result of that. So first of all, thanks for being here, man. And um, I'd like to just jump right in on that if we can. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Doug, for having me here today. And I want to tell you, you motivate me with your passion and your fervor and your interest in safety and uh, have a lot of respect for what you're doing. And Awesome. I think this podcast is a great opportunity to discuss some of these good. topics. Yeah, so, good, good. I appreciate uh, it. But yeah, you know, when you talk about post-injury management, and there's so many steps in that. And I've found that uh, by integrating human resources with the core competencies that we have in human resources and partnering with our safety professionals, uh, we're able to connect the dots and, and, and build a strong bond, but for the sake of helping and managing injuries uh, or people after they're injured. It's so very important, and you're right. If you don't follow good steps in that process, you know, injured employees have their antennas up. Mm-hmm. And after they're in that, you know, convalescing stage, they're going to scorecard mm-hmm. everything that happened, you know, at the time of injury. Right. How did the company respond to that injury? And how are they taken care of? And that's a measure of the allegiance and loyalty that you have with your employee, mm-hmm. but also you're going to foster that with that employee and based on how well you take care of them when they're injured. Well, I'd imagine all the other employees are watching this too, frankly. I mean, you know, they know when one of their coworkers has been injured and they're, and they're probably watching to see how the company handles that. Absolutely. They want to know that their own's being taken care mm-hmm. of. And uh, you're right. The, the other employees have their antennas up too. And they're going to see how you're responding to that situation. They're going to see how well organized you are right. in that situation. So, um, we like to take a look at it uh, at Owen Industries. When we look at injury care, after injury care, you know, how responsive is our care? How efficient is it and how effective is it? Mm-hmm. You know, Chuck Yeager had that statement and, you know, it can be interpreted in a couple different ways, but never wait for trouble. Mm-hmm. The way I interpret that is, is go out there before you have an injury, take a look at your path. Um, when I say path, you know, how do you manage the, the, the what's the protocol for, for, do you have first aid responders trained? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have CPR responders, et cetera? You know, and it's a scout model, always be prepared. Right. So those are steps to be responsive, efficient, effective. Those are things that you need to strategize as a company and do that up front before an injury mm-hmm. ever happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as you know, when you're in the heat of the moment yeah. and you have an injured employee, you know, that's a time where you apart. need to be able to act efficiently right. and effectively. Oh, no doubt. I, I've seen that on many occasions. I've seen companies that were not prepared for injuries or and they have serious injuries or even a fatality, perhaps. And it just just spir- spirals out of control. I mean, it just destroys that company. They were so ill prepared for something like that. So we, you know, we went through uh, at Owen Industries, just audited those steps. You know, do we have current first aid responders? Are they certified and are they current? Uh, and uh, you know, obviously we addressed that and made sure that we do. And also making sure that first, if you have more than one shift, first, second, oh, yeah. and third, it's not just first aid for first shift. Mm-hmm. It needs to be first aid and responders for right. first, second, third, as many shifts right. as you have. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is uh, you know, making sure that you've posted information. Because, again, when you're in the heat of the moment and you've got an injury, you don't want to be fumbling around, looking for numbers. That's phone contacts oh, yeah. for you know, addresses for occupational med clinics, hospital emergency rooms, uh, urgent case uh, care centers. And so, again, and if you're running more than one shift, uh, having an after-hours 
uh, facility that you can identify with to take that injured care worker if it's not emergency or if it's an emergency, obviously the right. hospital that you're going to go to. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But has that have that designated up front, and uh, we posted that at each supervisor's desk and on the bulletin boards as well, as well mm-hmm. so that our other employees can see that information and help in right. that situation to respond. So that we actually respond to the incident correctly. That's right. right. Yeah, no doubt. And then reporting injuries. Um, you know, how and when to report an injury. You know, if it's a minor injury, we expect that that would uh, be reported within 24 to 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, if it's a, it's a magical emergency, that needs to be reported immediately. Right. Uh, but why do we want some of those minor injuries report right away or as soon as possible? You know, we've seen osteo issues. You know, individuals that had a you know, a pain or what have you, and that mm-hmm. could be a cracked bone or it could be a broken mm-hmm. bone, uh, potential uh, infections, mm-hmm. you know, or aggravated soft tissue injuries. You know, not getting injuries reported can lead to those type of things. And so you, you said you, you've established some kind of relationship with a local provider or some type of a, like an occupational health provider or something to, to handle those types of the, the less emergent issues. True, we, you know we work with WorkFit, oh, yeah, occupational yeah. Okay. med clinic, to handle those those minor injuries. Okay. But when we don't have people reporting and they have an injury, if you're not reporting that right away, you know, depending upon the pain threshold of an individual, I've had individuals say, "I think I'm okay," mm-hmm. and later find out if he's got a cracked bone. Sure, yeah, so, yeah. But infections, etc. But also, you know, it's better to try to get that employee treated on a Monday through Friday schedule mm-hmm. rather than having these injuries exacerbate or, or, you know, get worse over a weekend and then it becomes an emergency situation. Right. So yeah. reporting injuries is important. Oh, that's, that's a good point. And getting it taken yeah. care of right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't want that employee to, to, especially if it's a back issue, to be having even more pain over a weekend. Right. Right. Uh, so, again, we, we advocate and we make sure that we, Tell our supervisors if you hear of somebody that's in pain, or you know, let's not let's let's make sure that we're reporting that so that we can take a look at it. That's cool. Yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, the injury itself. Uh, you know, who's making the call? You know, is it your first aid responder? Is it your HR person? Is it a supervisor? But knowing who's going to make the call and don't delay if it's an emergency mm-hmm. situation, call nine one one if you have to do that. But yeah. uh, and then transportation of those that need care, um, you know, who's going to be taking them to the to to the hospital? Is it an emergency call, or is it something where you could take them to an med clinic? You know, that could be you know whether it's broken bones or or uh, you know somebody needs to be immobilized or if there's bleeding, etc. Mm-hmm. That needs to be stopped. You know, somebody needs to make that call. Right. Who's that person going to be? You need to have that person identified yeah. up front. Right. Um, and so then you you do allow your employees perhaps to transport someone if necessary. So if, if it's if non-emergent, we have our safety director on first shift mm-hmm. make that transport, okay. take that person to uh, okay. uh, an Ahmed clinic if needed. But uh, if it's emergency, obviously we call nine one one. Sure. Uh, and then off hours, we have a designated person. Okay. They'll report that injury to our safety manager, but they are depending upon the injury, they may be able to take that person. Okay. So okay. You know, it's a lot faster when you take an ambulance than it is when you're taking a car getting stuck in traffic and you don't really necessarily have the right-of-way in the eyes of all the other employees, right? right? right. So, um, and then we've had an individual say, I don't want you to call an ambulance. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, I would rather not go, but, you know, that decision needs to be made by the first aid responder Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we just need to make the right call for the individual. Yeah. So... And, uh, you know, depending upon, uh, you know, the type of injury, um, as far as going to the treatment facility, you know, somebody should be with that person as they get to whether it's an occupational med clinic or the hospital. Uh, and that's for peace of mind. Oh, yeah. You know, rather I mean, than say, hey, jump in the car. You know, I know you've, your, your knee hurts, your arm hurts. You know, there's some liability in that and allowing that employee mm-hmm. to get Just to drive vehicle. themselves to the clinic or something. Yeah. We don't but I hear that them. happens a lot, I think. I hear people that well, their employees you, transport themselves, and I, I wonder about that. You know, as you bring that up, Doug, you know, there's that production-first mentality, mm-hmm. and we need to switch that into people-first mentality. Yeah, definitely. And not be too busy to stop and address that. Right. And make sure that we do the right thing. Uh, because, again, an employee is going to look at that. How much do we care as an organization if right. we're telling them, 
you're in pain, jump in the car and drive yourself. <laughs> right. I can't spare anybody. So try to get yourself over to the hospital as best you can. Yeah, that's true. That's funny. And as far as post-injury treatment protocol, um, you know, again, we talked about transportation. You know, after they're, when they arrive at the facility, there's going to be questions that they may not be able to answer. Who's your work comp carrier? Who's right. your third-party administrator? Right. Uh, et cetera. So we want to be there to be able to answer those questions. Uh, after they've been seen, if, uh, if they're able to you know, leave that facility at that time, they, na- they may need a, a ride to the pharmacy mm-hmm. to get a prescription filled. Mm-hmm. We have a first fill prescription card so that if an individual goes to the pharmacy, they're not being told you have to pay for this yourself. Oh, no. Sh- oh, that's, so, excuse me. <laughs> so, so That's cool. I like yeah, that. Be- because what does an employee think when they go to the pharmacy, they've had a work injury and mm-hmm. they're going to get a prescription and we say, hey, uh, pay 200 bucks and you can get your prescription. Right, exactly. Your pain it's, medicine. So again, organization, you know, and I, I repeat, how responsive, how efficient and effective are you at post-injury care? Well, that goes back to your point about just being prepared for this, anticipating that, you know, while we're hoping that this doesn't happen, we're prepared for the worst, and that stuff's all been uh, planned and discussed. And I think if you audit your processes, um, you can scorecard yourself before an injury and say, am I answering? Am I, do I have checked the box in these right. areas? Right. Because, the, again, the, the employee will scorecard oh, yeah. in the no end. Oh, yeah, doubt, I'm sure. But some of the other things that we do, Doug, um, is if somebody's at you know having an extended hospital stay, um, do they have family? Yes or no? Is there a spouse, a significant other? Is there a dependent? Uh, you know, it as you can imagine, it's very lonely when you're in a hospital and you have no loved ones or significant mm-hmm. others or dependents in the area, and you're there by yourself. So we we always make sure that we have a designate whether it's an individual from human resources Mm -hmm. or somebody from personnel that can go out there and be there at the hospital. Oh, I like that idea. And uh, that's either myself or the safety director. Okay. And we're able to answer questions that the physicians might have. We might have loved ones that are in the waiting room and they're confused. They're not sure what's happened or what's happening or what their loved one's being treated for. And we can, we can help soften that and give them a, you know, some peace of mind and some comfort by answering some of those questions mm-hmm. to the best of our ability. Yeah, no doubt. But being there. So it's not only sending a message to the injured worker, but what does the family think about the company if things right. aren't done correctly? Right. Well, I can tell you from my experience with OSHA that if things aren't being done co- uh, correctly, the likelihood of OSHA receiving a call is significantly higher. Absolutely. You know, it's retaliation or some, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to let you know that I didn't care for the way I was treated. Well, uh, and that can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Well, there's, there's not necessarily a hidden message here, but everything <laughs> that I'm talking about leads to some of the things that as a consequence of not being organized, not mm-hmm. being effective and responsive, those consequences can be litigation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of different things yeah, happen no and come out of that. Right. And employee satisfaction in those moments uh, if we're not taking care of them other employees are going to hear about it too and it can re- it can cause uh, retention issues too. Yeah, no doubt so you know we we uh, we ask that person if you have somebody there if, if they don't have somebody we'll we'll fill a personal hygiene kit for them mm-hmm. we'll go get toothbrush shaving kit whatever that person may need while they're in the hospital if they don't have anybody to do that. Mm-hmm. And they really appreciate I'm that gesture. Do. Yeah, And, uh, you know, not forgetting about their personal belongings back at work, their lunchbox, their tools are open, their car is sitting there. Mm-hmm. We make sure that we secure all those things. You don't want to come back to work wow. and find that everybody's cannibalized and all your tools <laughs> right, are gone. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I could have sworn I had a wrench. You know, they took your Oreo cookies exactly. and, left, and left, your your, left your peanut butter and jelly. Oh. That's a great point, though. And and we worry about those things. You know, once the immediate issue has kind of passed and and all of that anxiety is, has, has reduced a little bit, you start worrying about those things. I mean, even your home, you know. I mean, if you're a live-alone person, you've got maybe you've got a pet or something, or there are things that you are worrying about that, uh, that kind of lead to that satisfaction, dissatisfaction scale. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, maybe it's not funny in the eyes of an injured worker, but you, you know, it's a coincidence. You, I have that listed as do they have pets at home needing mm-hmm. care? You know, who's going to do their lawn care, their right. snow removal. We'll offer to either hire somebody to go do that for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. If they come home and they've got a knee injury 
and they've got three foot of snow in their driveway and on their their their, their sidewalk. You know, those are little things, and if you take care of those things and making sure that their needs are satisfied. Wow, that is really so, insightful, man. I I wouldn't have even thought of that. So that's that's good. Yeah, stay connected is really the message here, and that's what we try to do at Own Industry is stay connected, and just make sure that uh, you know questions are answered. You know, when am I going to get a paycheck, or when's how does this work with work comp? We're going to answer those questions. We're going to go to the hospital daily. Our leadership group. Uh, we're going to rotate that, and that'll mm-hmm. be the owner and other leaders going to see that wow. individual if it's a long term stay. Uh, we don't want to have that. We'd like to have zero injuries, but if that should happen, daily phone calls. How are you doing? You know, we look forward to getting you back, so that they, right. you know, they don't feel like they're forgotten mm-hmm. and taking care of their personal needs. Last year, we had a particular individual uh, that was convalescing during the holidays, and uh, I called up him and his wife, and they were busy, and kids were doing things, and he couldn't get around and do all the things that needed to be done that time of year with kids and events. And I asked them, what do you need? And, uh, um, you know, they talked about holidays and mm. meals and plant. Well, I drove up to Takema and did their grocery shopping for them and filled their mm. grocery list. And his wife was wow. able to cook up a big holiday meal. And, that and that's, that's impressive. And we paid for that just mm. as a gesture of our, uh, wow. uh, of our appreciation for him and what he was going through at the time. That's remarkable. Are you guys hiring by any I mean, yeah. we don't get that where I'm working. So in transportation to medical appointments are important. Flowers, get well cards. They want to know that their team has not forgotten them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to be just an object and just an object to produce. Right. And, right. Um, you know, cards signed by all the workers and phone calls, daily checking in with the individual to make sure that things are going okay. How did you come up with all of these things? I mean, is this just the, the product of brainstorming and or years of experience and realizing this because you're touching on some things that probably would have escaped me quite honestly if I'd been asked. Well, I, I think it's just doing the right thing, Doug, mm-hmm. and doing it from the heart. And I always try to put my, myself in the situation if I was injured mm-hmm. or if I was the spouse of that sure. injured employee or if I'm in the hospital and no one came to see me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I just think about those steps. I had the, the experience of working uh, I chaired the first loss prevention safety management committee about 15 years ago mm-hmm. for a large carrier here in Omaha. Mm-hmm. We had 11,000 drivers. Those drivers are remote. Mm-hmm. They're out there working. Right. And you have injuries, et cetera. And, and there was such a gap between corporate mm-hmm. connecting mm-hmm. with that injured worker. And you can imagine 48 oh, yeah. state overhaul, uh, over-the-road carrier. Oh, yeah. Who's taking care of that guy? Right. And we couldn't answer that question. Right. We started to, to, to think about that when we had drivers say, hey, so, you know, so-and-so never called me. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be a so-and-so. Right. You know, we want to make right. sure that we engage with them. So that, that was kind of the genesis of my view uh-huh. of uh, staying connected and, and just doing the right thing. You know, other things that we'll do uh, – you know, if a person uh, needs an Uber card, we'll give them an Uber gift card if they can't drive. Oh, yeah, that's a great and idea. And they can just, anytime they want to go, they want to go to the theater or go to the grocery or do something, uh, you know, they can do that if they're I like that. So, yeah. Um, and then just ask them, how's your doctor treating you? How's the nurse? How's the care? Are you aligned with that? Or do you agree with how you're being treated? Is, is there any concerns with that? Uh, because some will just silently... Uh, sit back and maybe they're not satisfied or there's a problem, uh, we want to make sure that those physicians and the care providers put their best f- foot forward because mm-hmm. that can sabotage things quickly when it comes to employee satisfaction. I'm sure, yeah. If you don't have yeah. uh, good care. Right. And, but they're going to their own physician in all likelihood at this point. Um, so uh, they may not know alternatives or be aware of alternative care providers, something like that, if they've gone to their GP or something for a follow-up or something like that. So are you able to give them direction if they need some kind of alternative care or something? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then the other thing, and I think you touched on this, is make sure that you're communicating with the employees back at work mm-hmm. to let them know. They want to know how they're doing yeah. and how they're progressing as well. Yeah. And that may be an ongoing right. process of communicating with the employees. Right. And then... So, Obviously, the rumor mill needs to be 
quashed. If you're not communicating, they're going to at least make up whatever they want to communicate. One of the valuable things we found was is doing a rotating uh, meal where each person would sign up in that work center mm -hmm. and provide a meal. Oh, nice. And we would take it over to that individual. Oh, wow, right? I like that. So you only do one meal, you know. Mm -hmm. The next guy mm -hmm. does Tuesday, next guy, gal does Wednesday, oh, wow. Thursday. And so that person's not worried about cooking meals mm -hmm. that week. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that a lot, too. I mean, and this is something that your employees, mm -hmm. they get on board with that? Yes, absolutely. Wow, that's really impressive, too. That's great. And that's, I think that's an overall reflection, obviously, of how they feel like they're being treated by the company. If they are going to do that for their coworkers with, you know, under at, at some direction or prompting by the company, I mean, they must, they must feel like they would get that same treatment. And I think they feel like they're part of the caregiving. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they do when they give the yeah. meal, but they're helping that person get back to work faster. Yeah. They want them back. Right. And if you can help get your coworker back, Absolutely. your peer back to work and right. do something like that, provide a meal or scoop some snow, Gosh. hey. You know, I worked for the Department of Labor, United States Department of Labor, for 17 years, never got treated anything like that. And they were, you know, the preeminent labor organization in the country. I have never heard of anything like that. That is remarkable, man. Well, thank you. That is really remarkable. Do they do that here at Parkville no. Media? No. I was going to say, if something happened to you, that you'd never hear from anybody. Jill's not scooping anything. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe I could touch on, you know, delayed recovery. When you mm -hmm. see uh, that recovery is maybe not going as planned, mm -hmm. um, you know, th there's times where, uh, you know, first of all, you know, when people have peers and their work peers, uh, they, they become their friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your Certainly. peers can become, you know, your work family. Yeah, no doubt. And after an injury occurs and you're su suddenly separated from your work family, and, uh, you know, a lot of individuals, their closest friends are their work peers. Yeah, I, I would agree. And when you're separated from those individuals, um, you know, a lot of us, our identity is with mm -hmm. our work. Mm -hmm. And if we're not working, then who am I? Right. And uh, oh, the, that's, there's a lot of emotions that yeah, come with I was going to say, that. the psychology of this is probably as big as just the physical right. challenges. And if you're not touching base with your employee on a regular basis and having that communication, you're not going to see or hear that in the tone of their voice mm -hmm. or detect uh, some of the things. Start to really wear right. on them. And, you know, I've seen a lot of range of emotions uh, over the years, in 15, 17 years in working uh, with safety, uh, the range of emotions from, you know, there can be emotional distress, there could be depression, fear, anger, humiliation of being injured, mm -hmm. um, anxiety. You know, some individuals even feel embarrassed or guilty. About being injured or hurt, yeah. being hurt at work. About being injured or hurt at work. So we stay connected with those individuals uh, to make sure that we understand those signs because, you know, if an individual starts to go down that path and continue down that mm -hmm. path and start to see themselves as handicapped, mm -hmm. et cetera, yeah. um, and when, when in reality they can still convalesce and make, the, and make it back to 100% mm -hmm. uh, recovery, then you, you compromise that, that ability to heal just based on, and we know that attitude is directly no re related to convalescing mm -hmm. and the time it takes to convalesce. If you have a positive attitude, studies show that you're going to heal a lot faster. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing why we do these things, Doug, mm -hmm. and stay uh, connected with the employee. Just, it just kind of uh, aids in the progression of this recovery, just keeping those things on track, positive, Exactly. Positive mental Im imagery and things like that. So what do you got? What about return to work types of programs? I mean, again, this is stuff that as an OSHA person, we, we heard this, these terms and we, we, you know, these discussions, these concepts, but um, restricted duty type work, return to work. I mean, it seems like that's a positive thing, right? We're always trying to get them back into the workplace. As soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, getting individuals back to work again, back with their work family. Mm -hmm. That's part know, of the men mental as much as, or emotional mm -hmm. as much as physical yeah, healing. I mean, yeah, transitional duty is the bridge back to full duty. Okay. And when we look at that, we want it to be meaningful work. 
Right. It needs to, to support uh, the me- you know their medical restrictions mm-hmm. and not doing anything above and beyond that. And then additionally, you know, it, it needs to be aligned with the business goals as well. But, uh, you know, the longer a worker stays away from work, um, the easier it is to stay away. Yeah, I'll bet. And so yeah. the sooner you can get them back, yeah. you know, to work, uh, the better I, I think for everybody. When you say meaningful work, though, I think that's really important. I think some people perceive some of the limited duty or restricted work activities as almost um, demeaning or, you know, maybe maybe not retaliatory in any fashion. But I think some people, you know... Mm-hmm. If, if you're just giving them trivial things to do, they, they take that as a slight. And so I think, you know, making that work meaningful is really important. Absolutely. You know, and we use that term and we, we evaluate, well, what work do we have for them to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't want to have them doing things and, and have it, you know, it needs to be a dignified approach mm-hmm. and it needs to be something that provides some value to the company. Right. And value to that individual because if they come back to work and they're doing something that has no value, just stapling papers mm-hmm. all day long, mm-hmm. seven days a week, yeah. they don't see that as value. Right. They might see that as punitive mm-hmm. punishment exactly. yeah. for being injured. Right. Right. So. right. It's almost a punishment for that, mm-hmm. as you said. I, I I wonder about that because I've heard many people say, "Well, we can have we can bring them back to stack BBs. I mean, it doesn't matter. Just get them back in here." And I'm thinking that psychology of that just doesn't make sense to me. And depending upon the position, you can integrate a person back in with transitional duty mm-hmm. and do some quality work. Mm-hmm. That could be training some newer individuals. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, that could be helping with the quality point, right. of uh, the produced product that you're working with. Right. So there's things that they can, they can see and they know, and if they're experienced, they can help with those areas. Have you ever had a, a need for any type of um, after some type of a, a more serious incident, perhaps a need for any type of like psychological or emotional counseling type support for not only perhaps the the injured employee or but the coworkers. Have you ever been in that situation? I'd like to say I haven't. Yeah, of course. there's been a couple situations over the past 17 years where I have seen, uh, due to the magnitude of the injury that the person suffered. Mm-hmm. That there was some psychological sure. um, trauma mm-hmm. based on the injury. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're dealing with over-the-road transportation, you can imagine oh, yeah. there's some oh. accidents and things yeah, happen. Um, and in that, and again, by staying, you know, in touch with the employee and uh, working with the nurse case manager mm-hmm. and your adjuster, um, we have had that happen, and we've addressed it, and we provided the resources. Um, and if that's clinical psychology, what have you, mm-hmm. but we have had individuals um, that have taken um, some antidepressant medications to help them get Deal through what yeah. they're dealing with, yeah. and, and they needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I can imagine. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a very good point that you bring up. Uh, I just I, I don't I think we just you know we we get so caught up in the the physical and the uh, conditional that we I think we just. Sometimes I, I'm guilty of it as well. I think we we omit that psychological piece, that emotional piece that, you know, somebody witnessed an accident or somebody came to the, you know, that first responder. I mean, even in your facility where you've got some designated first responders there, if they respond to an incident, you know, we're certainly we're taking care of the injured party. But sometimes that trauma to the first responder is, you know, equally as significant and that needs to be addressed as well. And I, I, you know, to my discredit, I, I don't always consider that, you know, well, we've had good results uh, as we've refined our processes for post injury care mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, auditing and, and even having our employees sco- scorecard that process mm-hmm. for us. And, uh, you know, we've been told by we're self-insured and mm-hmm. we have a third party administrator, but our adjusters have told us, that of their client base, their book of business, with the type of injuries that we've dealt with and the response from the employees, um, we have the least amount of litigation of that book of business. And uh, calling an attorney is not the first 
step that an injured employee takes wow. with us because of these things that we're doing. That's big. Now we're doing it from the heart. We're not sure. trying to do it to save money. Right. And, you know, right. If we do things right, take care of the person, we have practiced the four P's people first, good processes will have good productivity. Mm -hmm. Profits will follow. No doubt. We've always got to take, people, take care of our people first, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, we've been accoladed so much so that when I told them about this podcast, Creative Risk in Des Moines wanted to get a copy of the podcast Good. so that uh, we could continue to help other companies mm -hmm. with these type of processes wow. to 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 absolutely uh, you know eliminate the consequence of negative mm -hmm. uh, you know things that happen when you don't do oh, no doubt. do the things we mentioned. So um, this is a little bit backwards, but um, at some point, could you t tell everyone a little bit about Owen and? Even about your history with safety, I mean, I know, I, I have to be honest with you, when we first met, it's probably been four or five years ago, is that about right? Does that yeah. seem right? About five years ago, you'd contacted me, and uh, we were going to meet uh, down at, at the facility in Carter Lake, and we were going to um, just discuss some services, possibly, and, and I can remember having this apprehension, I was like, I am going down to meet with the HR manager at a plant, and that's a whole, for, as a safety guy, that seems like a trap to me almost. I was apprehensive that like many of the HR people that I have dealt with in the past, that you may not have a great handle on some of these safety concepts. I, I have to tell you, I was so thrilled when we sat down and started talking that, I mean, that you've been doing, you know, you've been doing the safety stuff yourself for years. You have a great understanding of it. Um, I so appreciated that because it's kind of a fear of mine that safety gets kind of buried in the HR functions sometimes, but they are intimately involved. And as you've just described, I mean, those are inseparable. I mean, the safety elements and the human resources elements of what you've just described are unquestionable. They have to come out of the same shop, but, you know, so thank you for knowing safety, man, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, it means a lot coming from as an you, HR you, practitioner. Yeah, it means a lot coming from you, Doug, and I and I appreciate that. Uh, you know, you can administrate human resources, and depending upon uh, your bandwidth and your knowledge, etc. But really, quite frankly, one of the core competencies of human resource management includes risk management. Mm -hmm, of course, and uh, it may not mean that you have to be the all knowledgeable safety professional, but you should have a good idea of what safety means mm -hmm. and be able to promote that from top down mm -hmm, and be able to integrate and weave that into, you know, the, 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 when I say weave that, take safety from an HR standpoint. We have so many resources in, in, within our realm, and if we could apply that and work through either a safety director uh, safety manager, etc. That builds some strength if we work together. So understanding core competencies of HR led me to want to continue to grow my skills in safety, but also have, interesting, yeah, yeah. And, and when we have the scope of safety, we know it's everybody should be involved in safety. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've just found that uh, tying HR to safety and promoting it and working with it has really helped us mm -hmm. produce a stronger safety program Absolutely, doing that. So. Well, it's obvious. It's obvious that that has worked for you guys. And, uh, again, I was, you know, I don't mean to, this is probably just a misconception that I have manifested over the years that uh, I guess I'm just fearful of when safety is, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, as a safety person, I think safety should be a direct report to the Plant the CEO, if not the owner, perhaps God directly. I don't know, but <laughs> but uh, it's not always practical, and so it's really important that if it is housed in human resources, that mm -hmm. the administrator of human resources understands the importance of safety and how that is so intimately integrated into everything that we do. And if safety is number one, and we have in human resources so many different initiatives, and uh, you know during a given period. Um, we need to, to look at all of those initiatives and include safety in mm -hmm. that as much as we can. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that we do. And, mm -hmm. and I'll say, let's look at orientation. Mm -hmm. We hire a new employee. If we do no safety and orientation, 
when we have control of orientation as HR professionals, mm-hmm. we invite our safety professional in to have conversation with our new employees. And then our orientation, a certain amount of that orientation, includes a lot about safety. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, again, Absolutely. You know, the partnership yep. that HR should have right. with the safety program. So, But in all we do, we should be looking mm-hmm. at, uh, in our initiatives in HR, is how does safety, if it's always going to be number one, how, to, how, does, how would safety apply to what we're doing today mm-hmm. and with the goals that we have in the future? Right. You know, if we want to go out and buy new equipment and put things places, you know as well as I do, there should be an ergonomic study, mm-hmm. and you should be looking at safety and whether yeah, that's there's an impact study. Absolutely. So whenever you make those changes, I agree. Oh, that's cool. So Owen Industries, I, we didn't really talk about Owen, but I, I've been in your facilities. They're fantastic. I yeah. always enjoy it. Well, thank you. We've been around since 1885, so I'd call us one of the only horse and buggy companies oh, around. Really? You know, we were hauling things in horse and buggies back in 1885, and we were a foundry to start with. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of hitching posts and light really? posts and wrought iron and manhole covers. You can still go down to the old market today and see Paxton Verling Steel, which is a division under Owen Industries. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got started. We're no longer a foundry. Uh, we've grown, and Owen Industries is the parent company, mm-hmm. and the Owen family bought that out in 1930s, and it's four generations okay. now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And from Fred Owen to Ed Owen to Bob Owen, now Tyler Owen. So we are a family-held company, oh, 480 employees, five divisions. We've got a structural fabrication division on one side of the street there in mm-hmm. Carter Lake, mm-hmm. Iowa. On the And we do bridge spans. We do structural steel fabrication on the other side of the street, we have a metals division. We're cutting, laser cutting metals, bending metals, selling metals. Is that the new facility? Yes, the new, brand new, beautiful $20 million facility, facility yeah. that we put in place. Awesome. And uh, that's been you know, wonderful for our growth and, and uh, c- capturing market share. Yeah. And uh, we have other metals divisions, one up at Sioux City. We've got mm-hmm. approximately 70 employees there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a metals division. That's called Missouri Valley Steel, by the way. Then we have... Northern Plains Steel in Fargo, North Dakota, mm-hmm. and they've got 110 employees selling metals up there in the ag markets. Mm, yeah. In Castleton, we have a Northern Plains Finishing. Uh, we've got a new paint operation, powder coat operation up there. So we paint a lot of green parts because we do a lot of business for John Deere. Oh, nice. So, uh, Very but, nice. But a lot of ag parts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we continue to grow, and uh, we want to continue to oh, do it safely, fantastic. right, and, yeah, and, and absolutely. every step of the way. It has to be, yeah, no doubt. We have a heavy-duty industrial environment, as you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you've got 40-ton bridge cranes and you're using two of them 80 tons to lift bridge spans, there's a lot that goes with uh, material management and the safety of doing so, et cetera. I know they're fascinating facilities. I've been in the three three of the the facilities you mentioned. uh, Really enjoyable. I I love uh, just – I just like watching how things are made – it's just so interesting. Yeah, it's some big stuff. It is big stuff. You know, I, I, I've, I've told people, if you come down here, you know, if you're a guy, if you've, you're clean shaven, you're going to have a beard when you leave. When you're, <laughs> you're gonna, you know, that testosterone and all this big oh, equipment, yeah, man. et cetera. That's exactly right. But yeah, but it is huge stuff. That yeah. is true. Yeah, big stuff. That is awesome. And, and a little bit about your – you were actually with um, – did you do safety when you were with Elliot? I know you were with I, Elliot Equipment for a while. I did. Um we, uh, how, how did you get into the safety side? Did you start in the human resources side of this in the, in the business and then well, just evolve into safety, or how did that all begin? Uh, it, again, it started when I chaired a uh, safety loss prevention uh, committee okay. for a large motor carrier. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, we you know, with eleven thousand drivers, we were spending you know eight hundred thousand dollars a year just in uh, three point entry access, getting imagine. in and out yeah. of a cab, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, material management and uh, you know back injuries, yeah. et cetera. So we went to task it and put a committee together to start addressing this. That was my first uh, go at mm-hmm. really understanding. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's a huge So uh, That's for, a huge problem to start with. And and you may uh, know HR Systems, Doug Pedersen. I mm-hmm. was a consultant with him for oh, yeah. two, three years. And uh, so I started handling some of that safety work that mm-hmm. we had for some of our clients. And uh, after I arrived at Elliott Equipment Company, I was uh, the VP of HR mm-hmm. and operations there for 10 years and uh, started a safety committee and uh, partnered with a safety mm-hmm. OSHA safety consultation office. Oh, in yeah, Lincoln. That's right. So we had a pretty high mod at the time, uh, very high. When you started, when, yeah. you, when you took and, over this uh, role? So, But we reduced the mod by 40 points. So, that's unbelievable. And uh, 
and that was through partnership with mm-hmm. OSHA Safety Consultation. And right. So we won a few awards and got I the merit awards, and then we worked all, all our way our way up to a platinum award, the Safety mm-hmm. Council, and then we became OSHA Sharp certified. I remember that absolutely. And, I remember that Elliot being on the list. Mm-hmm. And Elliot's uh, for those that don't know Elliot, uh, you know, truck mounted, heavy duty mm-hmm. truck mounted cranes. And uh, we uh, also produced aerial work platforms mm-hmm. for the transmission industry mm-hmm. and sign businesses, et cetera. Yeah, so, I see them all over, yeah. all and, over town. And uh, from there over here. And then you kind of mentored a, a young guy there. Tracy Willits. Yeah, I remember when you were leaving, you were you left them with a, a safety safety manager, as Absolutely. I recall. Absolutely, yep. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, but. Uh, and so you've just hired a new safety manager down at Owen. How's that going? Great. Is it? Yep. We've got Scott Nance <laughs> over there. And, oh, good. And uh, he's digging in. He's up at uh, Missouri Valley Steel. He's going to be there a couple of days. Good. Very knowledgeable and competent yeah, and has got a great, uh, good experience, as you know, yeah, in good. area safety. So um, we're uh, we're going to work together, him and I, good. and continue to improve what we do. And as we grow with the employee count that we have, you know, pushing up against 500 and having a footprint that includes out-of-state markets, mm-hmm. um, we need a little more bandwidth. And that's right. not, And I'm realistic. I can't provide all of that bandwidth. Mm-hmm. So thus uh, putting uh, Scott on board. So we look forward to his tenure and what we see. And we have great expectations for his impact that he'll have on safety. I, I would expect the same thing from Scott. Um, he, he and I talk all the time. And, uh, yeah, he asks good questions. And to me, that's the, that's the cornerstone of a – Good safety person ask good questions. Right, I you know, agree. That 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 really that uh, says it all to me. Um, I've never seen a program like what you guys are doing here before. You know, before I've seen hundreds of programs, and I have never seen anything like what you just described as far as this employee care and and the lengths that you guys go to, and just you know how all encompassing encompassing you you know the things you've identified as potential needs of your employees, and I just it. it I think it's it's a model that everybody should look to. I mean, it's really impressive. Well, I appreciate that. I have a question for you, Doug. Mm-hmm. How do you think what we're doing with that employee uh, and taking care of them, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. how does that impact uh, the, the future of safety or, or the next day, the next week, the next month, with the way that our employees look at safety? Do you think that that has an impact? I would imagine it would uh, have to. I think, I mean, so much of... Um, Safety is just attitudinal, you know. I mean, you know, as an OSHA, OSHA guy, I mean, we're, OSHA people are about conditions and identifying mm-hmm. unsafe conditions and risk and correcting those things. But that's really such a small part of what we do as safety professionals. That I think anything that you can do to engage an employee's attitude, uh, you know, um, Paul O'Neill refers to it as discretionary energy. You know, when he's talking about if you are taking care of your employees and your employees know that they are being well-treated and taken care of, they are going to give you that discretionary energy that they would otherwise not give you. You know, they'll, they'll come to work, they'll put in their eight hours, they'll leave, they give you nothing more. But if they believe, I think, as you've just described, that they're being taken care of, that they are actually appreciated by the company, they tap into that discretionary energy they offer you more than is the is just the minimum the, the that's expected, and I think, man, once you once you can tap into that, you've really accomplished something. So I don't doubt for a minute that you know any employee who's either experienced this or probably observed this treatment of a coworker isn't giving you energy that they otherwise mm-hmm. would not offer. Well, we're going to do all our can to keep that well full of discretionary. Absolutely, I, I, and that is such an important concept, um, you know. Mr. O'Neill talks about that in his YouTube videos, but um, tapping into that discretionary energy requires an employee to feel like they that they are valued, you know, that they are part of this team, that they are they contribute, mm-hmm. and uh, when, you know, if they believe that, if they truly believe it, and they're only going to believe it if it's real. I mean, they're going to see right through it if it's not real, as you said earlier. Um, man, I think the sky's the limit. You know, and and uh, this is probably another discussion altogether. But you know, I think um, OSHA kind of sets the floor. You know, this is the bare minimum that we're required to provide. Management really sets the ceiling for all of this. The way that management determines that they're going to treat their employees, engage their employees, 
that sets the ceiling. And if management is on board with that and they understand the importance of that, man, the ceiling is really high. And I've seen that in, in some of the facilities that I visit. More often than not, I see the other. I see the OSHA bare minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, I see the floor level. But, you know, the way management uh, approaches these things really changes the ceiling, I think. I agree. So, and you've seen that, obviously. I mean, you, you have obviously seen the benefits of what you, the way you treat those employees. Well, we call the, it, in summary of all that we're talking about, we call it FLA. Family-like attitude. Mm -hmm. They feel, well, and as you said, I mean, you spend so much time with these people. I mean, you know, the one thing that I miss about OSHA, and then again, I think we we said from the very beginning, I'm not intending to ever bash OSHA. You know, um, I have a lot of respect for the agency, but I miss the guys and gal, you know, the people that I worked with. You know, I don't know if I miss all of the headaches and all of the other bureaucratic stuff, but I miss the people. You know, I still go over there and just kind of wander through the office periodically just to try to get that feel again, you know, and uh, it's a hard thing to do. And as a self-employed guy, you sit in your office by yourself and, you know, if I'm not out in a facility, I I feel empty, you know. I mean, you you kind of miss that interaction and that engagement. And Yeah, that's interesting. The camaraderie. You know, I think that most people, uh, you know, when they, they finish a career, they're probably looking more at you know the people that I worked with and, and remembering that no as, doubt it, as much or more than the products I produce. No doubt, I, I think so, that's absolutely true, and I and I think that's probably why it's so hard for some people when they when they do finally retire or leave the workforce. Just that that sense of loss, as you described right. earlier. I mean, you feel lost. I'm sure if you've been away from work for a period of time. And I know it's no surprise to you that there's so many individuals, their identity is their work. Yeah. And if you take my work away, and if I'm not at work, again, as I mentioned, who am I? I know. So, No, my father, uh, just yeah, he retired, or he took an early retirement from Western Electric. I don't know if you're familiar with Western Electric, they were here in Omaha, big plant for a number of years. Took an early retirement, he was home for about a week, went crazy, mm-hmm. and had, had another job immediately. You know, he just, I think that was important to him, that, that identity, you know, he was a farm kid, country boy, he was a hard worker and, uh, sitting around was just not in his wheelhouse. As long as we've been around, we've had, uh, you know, several individuals where they've had 40, 45 years experience, you know, when they're retiring and we're cutting that cake, well, what's your best memory You know, what's your fondest memory? And, you know, most of the time it is, it's the people I worked with. Yeah, no doubt. That's, that's true. Ron, thank you very much, man. This is You guys have established a model that I think everybody should aspire to. Um, I'm going to post your contact, your e- email address, not your, you're not your home address or anything. I mean, I'm going to post your email address on the website. Um, if people have any questions about any of this, stuff, can they reach out to you just to, to get this summary? I know you provided me a summary of some of this stuff, man. I think it would really benefit them. Absolutely. You know, safety is a community, and we all work no together. And we're willing at Own Industries to share anything that we're doing. And we're also willing to learn that that even exchange that we get with others by Mm -hmm. providing information, we're learning too for some of the things that they do. Best practice. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being here again. Pat, thanks. Everybody, keep up the good work out there. We know uh, what you're doing is important and uh, we're behind you. So if there's anything we can do to help, help you out with that, let us know. Thanks. A Parkville Media Production.